Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and welcome to Happy Place. This is the show where, at least for the moment, we're finding connection from afar. This week, we're off to meet the co-creator of the fabulous comedy, This Country. It's Daisy May Cooper. The best bit is when you go to bed and you cannot sleep. Mm. You get up at like 12 o'clock because you've got to write down notes. That is pure creation and that's when you're just at your peak. That's when I'm at my peak. I absolutely love that excitement. It's like being a child again. Oh, I blimmin' love her. There's some really heartfelt, honest stuff in this chat, as well as a lot of laughs too. And quite a bit of swearing, so this is probably one for the old headphones. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. But now, let's do it. Here's the show. May Cooper, how the hell are you? <laughs> oh, fucking really struggling. It's I'm mad, really isn't it? struggling now. This week has been the worst. How how did you get on with all that laundry? The laundry situation in this house <laughs> is horrendous. I don't know. I cannot keep on top of any of it. It's just ridiculous. No. I come up here. I'm in my stepson's bedroom. I come up here to do podcasts to escape. I'm not even going to lie and try and make it sound nice. (laughs) I come up here to escape. I've just escaped Google Classroom hell, which is so hectic. Oh, shit. Yeah, you've got to do all that stuff as well. Oh, it's unreal. So is there set times? You've got to get up, you've got to start work at a set time and... Yeah, they're talking to a teacher on their computers. Oh it's madness. Oh my God. Don't. Oh, that's awful. I, I know. there's no getting out of that one. There's no getting out of that one. It is just, the whole thing's ludicrous. And I think now we're at the point where most people are going a bit stir crazy, whatever the situation is, just because it's just, it's a, it's just so long. We've never done this before yeah. and it's just so bloody long. It's keeping on top of the house for me oh. is, is killing me. Is is that mo those five seconds when you wake up in the morning and you think, I've got to go through all this again. I've got to <laughs> go through all the fucking cleaning again. There's like a, a, a mountain of, of laundry, like K2 size, yeah. that you've just got to sort out. And you think it just... And I don't understand. I mean, I suppose it's because we're all in the house together, isn't it? But just the mess. It's the mess. The mess. The mess I is... I can't cope with it. Horrendous. And also, I don't know about you, but I've definitely... Like, the first week, everything was a bit of a novelty. So we're all thinking, oh, this is, you know, rather unusual. I'm now at the point where, once the kids are in bed, the thought of making dinner is just... Oh, my God. I'm just like, I'm having a bit of toast. I can't be bothered. No, no. And it, and it's thinking of meal plans oh. as well. That's Thinking ahead of what you're going to have and and what everybody else fancies. Oh. I just know I, I I really hit a brick wall this week. I just can't. I think most people feel the same. It's just oh god, it's madness. Horrendous. I have to say there are a few things keeping me joyful during this period. 
music and getting outside a bit and your lockdown Instagram videos. Oh, God, it's pathetic. It's pathetic <laughs> attention-seeking, that's what it is. That's all it is, just trying to get more followers because it's just a, a fad that I it's, have at the minute because I've got nothing genius. else. It's genius. Oh, it, like it, The whole thing and your little daughter, Pip, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch and I, it's oh, just joy. But I know, I know you're saying, oh, it's just silliness, but it is like, I think small moments of joy at the moment really count for something. They're, you know, f- for everyone, getting a little bit of escapism or having a laugh is really important. So oh, I love it? what you're doing. It's brilliant. Oh, thank you. It's That's brilliant. really cheered me up. Now, look, we haven't um, officially met, which is a massive shame. And when this lockdown shit is over, we will rectify that immediately. Um, yes. But we have been messaging each other. And you revealed a beautiful story to me the other day <laughs> from our youth, if you oh. are willing to share. Oh, absolutely. So I was a massive Diggit fan. And there was a competition. And I think it was in the year, I would say, 2000, 2001, where you had to, it was a competition to draw a picture of you presenting the show with your favourite presenter. So I drew a picture of you and I and sent it in and you read it out on the show, you showed it on the show. My mum recorded it on VHS, fuck knows where it is, but it was the <laughs> best. I, I had it and I, it was it was like, dig it, Daisy on dig it, do not record, written all oh, over the VHS. That but has I made my life. I absolutely loved that. That was, do you, do you, I'm sure you get asked this all the time. What happened to him? This is it. Whenever I post a picture of anything to do with Dig It or Disney Club, everyone says, where's Des? Where, where's Des? I genuinely don't know. And, you know, I spent every day of my life with him from sort of the age of 15 to 19. <laughs> I don't know where he is. I haven't got his number anymore. We need to put a search party out. I've got no clue. Well, like, it's like Robert Robinson. Well, this is it. Got- I know. We're, we're going to have to start some sort of campaign after this because the intrigue <laughs> will grow. I'm so glad that you told me that. It's absolutely genius. A classic 90s moment of sending in oh a picture to Oh, my God. All your show. 90s posts are keeping me going. No, the 90s Absolute, are amazing. The fashion things. Fashion. Wasn't it just the best era of, of everything? I think summer of 96 for me. Yeah. Was it was was life at its peak? Life at its peak. The summer of '96. <laughs> I know. I mean, I I wasn't a cool person. Well, I'm not a cool person now, but I certainly wasn't in the '90s. I wasn't like a Zoe Ball or a Patsy Kensit. As everyone saw, I had like the worst dress sense, which is genius to look back at now. Like a joy to look back at. Oh my god! Absolute joy. So fun. The hats. Oh, oh, the hats. The velvet hats. I've got to say thank you again another thank you as well as doing your instagram videos but uh thank you for bringing even more happiness to so many screens because watching this country for uh, the majority of the nation has just been um just such a salve like sitting and watching something so uh just wonderful and mellow and just all those little funny nuances that that you write into that script it's every time me and my husband are like oh my god well when series three came out we've got a whole new series to get stuck (laughs) into um so again thank thank you you. thank you so much for for doing that so am I right in saying that that's it now for this country you guys you're done with it yeah I definitely well I think possibly we'll do like a like a Christmas special along the line but I just got to the 
Poor, I mean, not having Michael, who played Slugs course, yeah. in the last series, it was just, it was hell. It was like, it felt like a completely different chemistry. It was really strange. And, I, and Charlie and I said to each other, I think that this has to be like the last, the last one. And we're sort of ready to move on, I think, for different things because we'd been kind of working on the idea since like 2010. So it's like 10 years really mm. in the... In the making, but yeah, definitely need a break from it. <laughs> you, so your dear friend Michael, he passed away during the writing of, of series three, and then you had to yes. really quickly kind of just get on set and, and start filming, which I, I imagine was pretty hard to digest a lot of feelings and, and get back into that working space. And I and I've yeah. read previously that you felt you didn't really have time to grieve because. The, the timing was just so everything was so fast paced. Do you do you think you've had time to grieve since, and and how has that been? Yeah, I, it's it's actually really hit me. I, do you know what? I always find it strange when you lose some somebody that you didn't necessarily see every day. So it's kind of harder because I don't know. Subconsciously, you kind of feel like they're still there, and it yeah, it, it's really hit me now that he's gone and he's never coming back. And it was really funny. I was looking, the other day I was looking through a load of old WhatsApps uh, that he had he'd sent me because he was so fucking funny, but also such a, a plonker. And we'd sent him to uh, the South Bank Awards on our behalf because we didn't really fancy going. And I got this whole thing, this whole message about... He'd been at the table that was next to Stormzy and then tried to take a sly picture of Stormzy, <laughs> at which point Stormzy ironically stormed over and completely bollocks him in front of everybody. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I just, that just makes me laugh because that's the sort of person who just wouldn't <laughs> think that that was a really stupid thing to fucking do. You know, take oh, a picture like, of that phone right up somebody's face, but... It's those things that just keep me going, mm. those sort of memories. I bet. So, you know, you've you've had, there's been so much change for you and Charlie because not only have you um, lost the great mate, which is just, you know, horrific to have to deal with, but also, you know, you're moving on from such a, a massive chapter of your, your working life. How does that, how's that sort, how are you processing it and how do you feel about it? Are you happy to say goodbye to it? Yeah, and I definitely... Happy to say goodbye, but th this is like a really scary bit now because we sort of almost feel a bit until we've seen each other, which we haven't been able to do. You think, God, was that just a complete fluke? And am I a complete imposter? And I'm never going to be able to recreate anything ever again. It, there's that complete anxiety that I get about following up with the next project and what that should be. But isn't that so funny? I think like so many musicians will massively relate to that having when your first project or album does well and then you've got all that pressure that everybody's waiting and what, like what are they going to do next there's an anticipation and there's a hype around it and it's that um oh, scary sort of second album syndrome I think whereas when you were first I guess writing this country and nobody had any expectations you're kind of free and liberated to to be creative so is it almost harder this time round in that with the sort of thinking about what you're going to create and how you might go about it 
Oh, God, definitely. And it's also because you've been doing the same characters for such a long time, you think, fuck, can I actually act anything other than doing Kerry? Which I don't <laughs> think I can. <laughs> Every single character from now on is just going to have a West Country accent. I'm happy with that. <laughs> God. But it is, it's thinking, and because it'd been our life, so it'd been something that we talked about for so long, and these characters had been, I mean, we're talking like secondary school that we were obsessed with these because they were actually people we went to school with. Mm. And and now it's like, oh, well, that's done. What what the fuck else do we have? <laughs> I mean, until we sit down, I'll feel a lot better once I've seen him and we get excited. I think the next thing might possibly be like a period piece or something like that, like a completely different century that we mm. can just get stuck into. And so your work with Charlie again, like this is now your your writing dynamic. You, you kind of have to have each other there to bounce off each other. Oh God, I, I wouldn't be able to work with anybody else. And I think the reason is because I, I mean, I, I working with friends I find really difficult because you can't. I can't ever be honest and say I I don't think that joke works or that joke's really unfunny. Whereas with yeah, my brother, awkward. I could just go, that's shit, let's not put that in. He, <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that's, that sort but of it's perfect. Yeah. And do you think also because because you you work so hard to to get this show off the ground and it's so personal to you and it it's the idea has manifested from yourself and Charlie reminiscing and, and having conversations and, and desperately wanting something to go well, that really now the only way is to create your own projects. Because I imagine that if you were offered to be in a film or a, or a sitcom or whatever, losing that autonomy might feel quite uncomfortable. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I've done like a couple of other things without Chaz and, and it's... I mean, it's it's been amazing, and I've really enjoyed it. But you, we're so close that it doing anything without him doesn't quite feel doesn't feel quite right. And and it, there's something so special as well about creating a world together. And and there, there's a sense of humour I think you have with your sibling that you can't get with anybody else because you've grown up with the same kind of mental parents and yeah. you've been forced together and there there is that humour and that connection that you, you just can't get with anybody else. Mm. And do you, um, what I'm really curious about is from what I've read, the situation you were in as a family when you were writing the script wasn't great you know you, no. you've, you've written about that time and and that it was tough on you all financially and and the circumstances that you found yourself in and I'm really curious as to how or I guess why out of that time for you guys um humor was the the sort of thing that that rose from the ashes you know has humor always been a coping mechanism for you as a family or did you just stumble across comedy being something that that worked for you during a, a tough time I think I think humor is something that we have as a family that we've always fallen back on I mean there was another there's a, a story that my mum told me about when they were I mean, it's their anniversary today and they've been together since they were 16, but they had wow. to go and see a relationship counsellor um, because it was, uh, the, they they were on the sort of brink of divorce. 
and dad said something and they both started laughing until they cried. And the relation counsellor looked at them and said, I think that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, it was, and it was from then that they thought, oh my God, do you know what? We should just fuck her off and be together. Oh, but that's really, so lovely. I love isn't that. Isn't it? Um, but yeah, you. Ha- I mean, humour is, is, is the thing that brings us so much closer. And, and because things were so bleak, and I mean, so desperately bleak it was all that we had sitting around and just chatting and making each other laugh is is the most valuable thing that, that I think you can you can have as a family but it certainly helped us get get through that time planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And... How important at the time of creation was it for you to look at the the sort of the balance of the show? Because, you know, it's it's not just um, straight up laughter all the way through. There are like really sad moments and, and really thoughtful moments. And, and also, I guess you're sort of tackling how we as a nation look at uh, perhaps class, but also... Poverty, because we always, I think, in this country, especially associate poverty with being in a city and um, and and how kids can be helped in that area or families can be helped in those areas. But rural poverty doesn't get much of a light shone on it. And I wonder if you even thought about that or if that just kind of unfurled from from you and Charlie sitting there and, and really delving into your your life and your past. Um, I do you know it sort of it came as a byproduct really because we were we wanted to write and base it on what we'd kind of been through and so we wrote what we knew and it and just by fluke we kind of touched on the poverty thing um, but it it was so hard and I remember in that first series uh, we did we talked about having to sit and watch friends eat McDonald's and not being able to afford to buy your own. And I got quite choked up doing that scene because that was exactly what it was like. And I think the thing with poverty just and money isn't spoken about, especially in these kind of rural areas. It's such a fucking weird combination because you've got like the higher classes shoved very closely next to the lower, like the poor class, working classes. And and the kind of working classes are on the outside of the village, just that little bit away, put in all these kind of flats and council housing. And you're in such a, a, a sort of small area. And uh, it it's just, it, it was a really, I mean, I, I always talk about it because I think it's so important because you you feel like you have no um you have no absolute no no worth 
you are embarrassed um, of seeing your friends. You feel like you're leeching from your friends because you're asking to borrow money or you can't go out because they want to go. So because you just don't have that cash and you feel like a second class citizen. You have absolutely no choices. I mean, especially when it came to stuff like buying tampons, even buying tampax for, for me was like that was three pounds 36 for some tampons. Whereas getting those horrible kind of Tesco pads, those Tesco value pads was like 26p and you, you have to go for the, so you have no choice in anything. Not even it comes when it comes to your personal hygiene, you have nothing. And that was such a, a, a hard time. And I, and I always have empathy for, for anybody or any family that's going through that. I think that you dealt with all those subject matters so tactfully and beautifully in the show and, um, just all of it comes across as obviously so genuine. And I think just you did get that perfect balance, that marriage between comedy and and thoughtfulness. Um, you just hit the nail on the head so perfectly. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. I don't think many shows, you know, manage to bridge those two areas. They're usually straight up thoughtful or you've got the, the comedy side. And I just think... Oh, thank you. Yeah, honestly, I, I just, I think it's... It was just it, the whole thing was so so beautifully done. Do you think, like when you were growing up, you were because it's strange um, in the countryside in a lot of areas, like you just described. You you do have these real extremes of, like you say, you know, the big stately homes or or lovely posh houses with with lots of land around them, right next door to um, council houses or flats or or working class communities. And it, that's a really unusual setup when you think about it. You know, I'm from a working class family, but I grew up in the suburbs of London where everything's the same. There, there is, you know, you're, everyone is just in a sort of semi-detached house on an identical street. And you, you're not really aware of... I didn't even know what class was growing up. I had right, absolutely yeah. no clue. I didn't know there were people that had loads of money. I didn't know there were people who had no money. I just kind of was in mediocre land. And I wonder if growing up, seeing that around you, you, you had um, a sense of, of what class meant at a young age or what your situation meant to you at a young age. Yes, definitely. I think my, I mean, my parents always had like a massive chip on their shoulder about posh people. It, that was like, it was always if there was like a Land Rover or a Range Rover or something, it'd be like fucking Range Rover taking up the fucking road. <laughs> fucking posh people that don't give a shit about anybody else. And that was always, always the theme. And these uh. people were just driving normally down the road, but there was just such an anger and, an, and a hatred. And we're in our town, we have uh, the Royal Agricultural College, which a, a lot of... Uh, wealthy people go students go to and there used to have to be separate nights for them to go out in the town so we had a club that would not open to them unless it was a Wednesday and then if it was a Wednesday nobody else could go because the amount wow. of fights that there would be like so many fights between the two two classes and it was just insane and then there would be stories of like how the agricultural students would like 
fuck up the Chinese restaurant and like piss on all the walls because they didn't give a shit and then give daddy's credit card at the end to say but I mean it was all rubbish it was just shaggy dog stories but it yeah, just yeah, fueled yeah. this absolute hatred between yeah. the two classes in the town it was really strange really like tribal mentality isn't it I mean I remember a sort of a similar thing outside of looking at the, the sort of class system of just our local town versus the other local town and you wouldn't go to the same bit of the high street or you had to avoid it on a Friday night and it was very sort of <laughs> tribal as teenagers it was bizarre um it's insane madness. it's like Shelbyville versus do you remember that episode yeah. that Simpsons episode that's one of my favorite ones it's exactly it's that. exactly I mean, like it's abs- that it's absurd um going back to to your the sort of the, so we've sort of covered that starting point of of the feelings around why you and Charlie needed to create this show and and ha- and how you went about it. I know that it wasn't a linear situation. You didn't just hand in this show and everyone went, "Oh, great, we'll put it on the TV." Um, and that you had knockbacks. How did you navigate that? Because I mean, it goes back to that hope thing. Is if you've got hope then you can survive a situation. And if we'd say, right, we're just going to give up now, I think that would have been, that would have killed us. It really would have killed us because there there had to be no plan B. Otherwise, it it would have just been so bleak. Like, at least if if you're sending off scripts and you're, there's some hope, there's always hope somebody could get back to me next week or something, I could have my life change around this time next year. Like, and and that's also been our downfall as a family. We've always kind of lived in the now, but also always lived in the future. It's always like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll do this now because we'll pay it off on a credit card and then we'll pay that back next year because we'll all be millionaires. And that was like, that that was like our mentality, really. It, it's really strange, but we we had to keep ourselves going, and I think that was why it was so beneficial that it was the two of us in the same boat, and not just one person on their own going through it. So you had somebody to sort of pump up when the other one was down. That that was always what it would be like. I mean, I even remember getting. Uh, I mean, we had an awful meeting with this production company, and. Charlie even was like, look, should we just write to Ricky's face? Like, should we just write to him and say, look, we're just, we're really fucked right now. We really need to talk to somebody who knows all this stuff. It, there was always like a sort of a way of, you always thought outside the box and a way yeah. around it rather than dealing with the disappointment. And it was really denial because had we accepted it, we, like I, I said, think it denial sometimes us. is really handy for that reason though. Because I think if you are so focused on something you're passionate about you have to have an element of that because otherwise every time anyone said anything you would just go oh god maybe it is a piece of shit or maybe we are barking up the wrong tree so I think Mm. you know sometimes you you can sort of uh dream in what might be deemed as unrealistic or you know I've certainly been told loads of times when I was younger oh don't be ridiculous that that will never happen or that's a stupid thing to to think that you're going to end up doing and I think you have to be very determined and strong-minded to to stick with a plan like that because a lot of people will say no and shout you down do you think because I think so many people have that exact mentality you're talking about I, I do it all the time when you go oh well in the future when that's done I'll be okay or in the future when I've 
ticked that box or I've 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 reached that level of where I want to be, then I'll I'll feel okay. Having now got to the place where you're three spectacular series down, you've won two BAFTAs, you know, do you feel any different? Have you, you know, got to a point where you're like, oh yeah, I'm there now? Or do you just feel exactly the same? Oh God. I, do you know what it is the weirdest thing? And I when every single night I would go to bed and when things were really bad and I would have this vision of me getting up on stage and accepting a BAFTA and that was like the thing that would get me through. And then you're walking the red carpet and it's happening and you get into the room and it's, you kind of, it's, it feels really flat. It's bizarre. The whole thing feels really flat you go up on stage, you accept, which is amazing. And I'm not taking away from the fact that it's amazing. But you f- you don't feel that it changes anything or that it makes you any happier. And there's this kind of numbness, like you've scored a goal and then you're kind of running in b- b- behind the goal and it's all kind of misty and you're like, oh God, so I've done this now. Well, well, what next? And I couldn't actually quite get over how, yeah, how fucking flat those things are and how kind of depressing they are afterwards. Like, like the after party and stuff and everybody's kind of looking over your shoulder or looking over your head to look to see who's more important to talk to. And I just thought, fuck, I, I this isn't what I imagined it would be. And that was really strange. That is such a strange feeling because you think, fuck, if I become famous, that will just sort out everything. That will give me every kind of validation in my life that I've ever needed. It will be a massive fucking finger up to all those cunts at school who were bastards (laughs) or whatever. And then, and then you, you get it and you just think, God, this isn't this, this just means that people know my name, but I don't know theirs. It just means that I've got to take like 50 selfies a day if I want to go to the shops or to the pub or this is, oh, I'm really worried because I got drunk last night and I hope it doesn't end up in the sun. Ooh. That's all the fame is. <laughs> it's just so weird. What I'd like is the money to go with the fame. Yeah, <laughs> but I think, it, you know, it's that side of it is so warped still because so many people um and I count myself in in this bracket as well do believe that when you get to a certain level of your career or you tick off certain goals that you will internally feel different and I still do it all the time you know I feel like especially with everything with happy place I'm so on the first rung of the ladder still and there's so much more I want to do and I keep imagining oh, well, you know, when we've done this or created that, then I'll feel a bit more confident or whatever. And you do realise, or I have to keep relearning it, keep relearning this lesson that it it doesn't impact you internally at all. Like that, only you can sort that stuff out outside of accolades or goals or attaining things or friends or whatever. It has to be an inside job and it's, St- I think the modern world tells us, oh, no, it's not that. You've got to have loads of yeah. stuff and do this and whatever. But actually, yes. it, that's what it is. It's an inside job. It, it's just... And, and how weird I, I find it, actually, is you end up 
reverting, go, I mean, going back to all those things that you enjoyed doing originally, that you yeah. found happiness, those really small things, like, I don't know, reading a book or, I mean, caravan holidays for me, we always were like, oh, we'll have to do a caravan holiday because this is all we can afford. And I end up, and now I've been on holidays abroad and think, I, I just wish I was on that caravan holiday. Yeah. There isn't the atmosphere that there there is here. It's It's sort of a bit depressing here. It's it's just absolutely extraordinary. I just find it, us as human beings, we kind of need that goal to sort of yeah keep us going. But ultimately, it's the, the really small mundane things that, that make us live in the moment. And living in the moment is happiness, I've found. So do you think purely on a, on a, on a work basis, before you thought that, the end goal or the, the happiness bit would come from success or recognition, but actually now you know that the joy of it is is in the creation part of it. Oh, God, absolutely. That is so much fun, the creation, isn't it? When you're sat in your room or you're talking to somebody and you're both getting hyped up about ideas and it's yeah. just back and forth like a ping pong and you're getting... And it, the, the best bit is when you go to bed and you cannot sleep. Mm. You get up at like 12 o'clock because you've got to write down notes. That is pure creation and that's when you're just at your peak. That's when I'm at my peak. I absolutely love that excitement. It's like being a child again. Mm, it's just, it's such a, a joyful, beautiful feeling. Um, you're, you're younger than me, but I think that we're potentially at a similar place on, I don't know, uh, on, a, on a personal or emotional level from, again, what I've, um, when I've seen you on TV doing interviews or, or when I've read articles that you've been interviewed in, I think actually we're probably at a similar stage like a lot of other people uh, in their 30s at whatever end of the spectrum on the later end. Um, but I think there, I don't know if it's with age or with life experience, but there, there, there comes a confidence in um, speaking honestly or speaking your truth, saying what you really believe and mitigating outside opinion or perhaps anticipated judgment um I certainly am at that point now I'm not I haven't like nailed it but I'm I'm definitely going through it and I was awful at it growing up absolutely the worst I would just say I was people please I'd say yes to everything yes. I was too scared to rock the boat um and I, from what I've read I assume the same of you oh fuck yeah absolutely but I think that we're quite similar that we're, if I had my nerves on the outside of my skin, like that's how sensitive I am yeah. to people and what people think of me. I mean, I'm an extremely fragile person. Um, and I, th and I think that, but that also makes me quite good at doing the writing because you know that character so well. It's like criminal profiling. And I always found myself in situations where I'd be talking to new people and I'm not I'm not in that moment. I feel like I'm observing myself. Yep, in there, yeah. And I'm adjusting myself as a chameleon to what they they want and what they think. I've i i I'm living it through their eyes and I'm thinking, God, they think mm. I'm a twat or I'm talking too much about myself. Uh they think I'm stupid. They think and do you know there is actually an, an incredible emotional t intelligence to have that, I think. 
and and now I I just especially having my daughter I just think fuck I don't need to talk to those people if I don't if I don't want to talk yeah. to them I've got my friends I've got my family and I, I just I am who I am and and fuck everyone else. yeah no I agree I think you get bored of it I think it gets really tiresome and boring to have to keep playing those roles because you've described exactly how I've spent so much of my life going this person needs me to be this or or I will be accepted if I'm like this rather than just go actually no I don't really care if you don't like me or if you are if you're judging me then that is your problem but I think I have spent so much time people pleasing or feeling oh I'm letting someone down I always want to try to help people or oh my god I haven't you know maybe you know, I've been a bad, I'm a selfish person. I'm constantly like beating myself up. Whereas I think I am getting to a stage where I also recognise that it's really important that I'm just honest and I'm just, oh, I'm channeling honesty for their benefit and mine. And that means you will probably piss people off. Oh, totally. I don't Absolutely. think it means life's easy then. I think it means the more honest you get, the more people you'll probably piss off. But that is a positive because you're then more comfortable with yourself and you don't. Yeah. But I mean, I think about, I'm sure you've, you've had this, but in my sort of teens and 20s, the amount of friendships, toxic friendships and intense friendships that I was in that I didn't even want to fucking be in, yeah. that I was dragged into. And having to like, I mean, there was a girl that I was friends with, but I just, all I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to socialise. I just wanted to stay at home or do my own thing. And it just got more and more toxic and why aren't you texting me back and all this kind of stuff. And it just gets to the point you think, why Why, why am I doing this? Why yeah. have I gone along? Because, and I think it fundamentally is that I, we can't, I mean, I can't stand people, but I want them to like me. That's, <laughs> it's just, it's insane. It's mental. <laughs> and what's great is having a child because you suddenly think, I'm not going to put up with this shit anymore. Yeah. That that really changed. Did that change you? Yeah, I think um, it was a real catalyst for me, most definitely. And it's def- it's been incremental, but I think it's a big kick up the arse in that way. And it doesn't take having a kid for some people. You know, I've certainly met people who have thought, God, you are really 100% you and you're younger than me or you don't have a family or whatever. But I think some people maybe have life experience that, you know, allows that confidence to come through early. But for me, I think the industry... I grew up in made me even worse you know it, it knocked any confidence out of me because everyone's got a bloody opinion because you were I mean bloody young to, to yeah. be on TV and to go through all of that well, I mean yeah. how old were you when F- you I was 15 so I mean it's very strange formative age to experience that and I think similarly to what you've experienced I know that when you were at RADA you had a tough time in taking on other people's opinions there and famously those sorts of schools aren't necessarily soft or kind in delivery it's all about being tough and growing a thick skin and I think you know if you're like you are if you're like I am and you know you are self-professed sensitive person you can't take harsh critique like that to your face it doesn't work it doesn't work for everyone because you completely implode and then you yeah you just you can't you 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 shut down. I always think of it like uh, Wally. You know, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With Wally's girlfriend just goes, <laughs> and then you get nothing. Yeah. You get absolutely nothing. So when you were, it's bizarre. When but... you were at Radha, you know, and you were you were at a young age, and you were living in London, you were going through all of that. Um, 
I wonder like, well, first of all, you know, how did that affect you? How did it make you feel? And, and if, if it was the daisy today going back there, how, how would you act differently? How, how would you, oh. how would you, you know, come back with, a, with something for, for people that were giving you shit? Do you know what? It's so funny that you asked me that because this is one of the things that before I go to bed, I, I reimagine things that I would have said. I would have, t- I would have stood up to the teachers and said, um, this is bullying this is not acceptable um, and th- there, there is absolutely no reason why you have to be so tyrannical in giving this advice because I am learning nothing. I'm just frightened. I'm frightened to come in all the time. I'm frightened to do something wrong. I, 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 all I was, the, the problem was I, was I was so afraid and I was being told off for stuff that I didn't even know what I was doing or how to correct it. It it was just things like that. And um, I would really stick up for some of those people that got absolutely, I mean, completely annihilated and humiliated in front of the rest of the class. And I remember standing there and saying absolutely nothing when it happened uh, to this poor boy who got, yeah, completely, ridiculously annihilated in, in in one lesson. And, I, and one of this amazing guy uh, called Nick uh, who stood up and said, this isn't right. I don't like what you're saying to this to this guy and, and this is bullying. And I always felt, fuck, I should have stuck up with Nick and I should have said, no, I totally agree. But it's it's fear, isn't it? It's it's fear, and I think you know it's such an archaic notion to lead by fear and by sort of shaming people. Do you know what I mean? It's like you say, bullying. It's all about sort of making people feel ashamed and smaller than. And it's such a weird way to teach and to lead. Um, and it, and it, I think if you're faced with that, how do you get the confidence to say I stand up to you? I, I there's no way I could have growing up. I mean, I, I certainly would today, but growing up absolutely i know i wouldn't have and i and i haven't historically either but there is nothing better than a sort of imagined daydream before bed of getting that revenge or saying that line i love that one. Oh god i i remember the last time i did that was on this kind of last term i did absolutely go mental at one of the administrators because she uh oh she made my life hell Anyway, she had dragged, I said at this point, look, I don't want to go to my graduation. I don't want to do this last. I just wanted to drop out at this point. And I had, I had meetings with agents. So I thought, do you know what? Why, why put myself for another fucking term of being miserable? I just want to get out now. And she dragged me and my mother in and she said, I will personally phone every agency in the UK and tell them how unprofessional you are. What? So, at which point, me crying and hysterical, just said, "Well, I think you're a twat, and everybody around us." <laughs> she said, "Oh, that's a bit, it's a bit strong." <laughs> you know, that is completely a hysterical. Nothing comes out. Wow. Comes out well, oh god, god that is a brilliant sign-off. <laughs> That's genius. Oh, God. Wow, we. But I mean, anyway. the thing is, who, you know, there's people out there that can guide and can teach, but I don't think it's right when people say, 
something in a definitive manner like you know you won't do this you won't succeed you won't work I think it's really bad for your psyche because if you believe in yourself that's enough that's what we should all be working with is what we think we are capable of and no one else knows apart from us Oh, God, I, I just think you should always encourage people every step of the way. Yes. Always, because everybody's going through shit. Everybody yeah. gets knocked back. And, and people uh, have less encouragement than they do, uh, you know, criticisms all the yeah. time. People just and need to be kinder. And you see somebody light up when you just give them a tiny bit of encouragement. And it's one of them, they like blossom like a flower. And you think, fuck, have you not heard this before? That I love, I, I I just don't understand why teachers, I mean, the teachers that we had wouldn't teach in that kind of, kind of way. I think there's some, I, I think they took those jobs for the wrong reasons. And I think a lot of them felt, I mean, it was like that Stanford experiment. It was a power trip, I think. Mm. So then when Weird. you're, when so so sort of moving up to, to when you're then filming your first series of this country and you and Charlie, are, you know, you're the bosses. This is your work. It's your writing. It's your creation. How did you find managing other people and, and encouraging them, but, but also having to be honest if something wasn't quite right? Did you, did, how did you find that? Um, I sort of, it was a really lovely, do you know, it was such a great atmosphere and it was, Great with cast and crew. We, because everybody was away from home as well, it made it really uh, strong. I mean, I tell you what, I am absolutely fucking terrible at telling people when I don't think that their acting is right. So I have to go and tell the director who then tells them. And then they'll come up to me in the lunch break and go, fucking hell, do you hear what that's And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's fucking awful. Why? Oh, you were doing that fine, weren't you? I'm such a snake. I'm terrible. That's so brilliant. But yeah, I just... Because people ask us, oh, would you like to be able to direct your own stuff? And I think, no, because I would never be able to be honest with people. It's so bad. It's terrible. Oh, that's great. I think I've grown and then I just can't. No, it's hard. I, yeah, I, I, just... I don't think I'm made. I think you're made for that sort of thing or you're not. I'm certainly not. I think it's excruciating to tell someone they're doing <laughs> something wrong. It's awful. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really that's so good. That's so good. Um, we've sort of, again, messaged about something outside of work that I'm intrigued about because um, it's something I'm massively passionate about in my free time um and I'm a massive bookworm so I read every you know self-help or spiritual book going or whatever just to sort of see what the take is and and hopefully learn something and I know that something you're also um passionate about is uh the law of attraction yes and I wonder how you've implemented that into your life knowingly or not oh god so many I mean so many bizarre things have come um from from you i mean actively i i totally believe in it and i i i'm always quite scared of talking about it because i don't want people to think oh fucking hell she's like into a cult or something mental <laughs> she's completely lost the plot but um from the experiences i've had i mean 
things like, so I was having a conversation with my mum and she was saying, if you could work with any actor, who would it be? You know the guy who plays Olaf? Oh, my God. Why have his name just gone? In Frozen? Frozen. Josh Gad, that's it. Why did okay. I for... But I was, anyway, I am a huge fan. Olaf. And uh, we were in this meet, this HBO meeting the next day because we were do- working with, uh, we'd, we'd been writing this thing with Armando called Avenue 5. And they said, okay, so Steve Buscemi can't do the part anymore. So we've got uh, Josh Gad on to do the part. Wow. And I thought, that is... And I, I said, I said, are you fucking kidding me? And Armando said, oh, wait, do you not like the guy? But it was that I thought that that was absolutely extraordinary. Because yeah. that was like in a, a space of 24 hours. And do you think that is... Because I've had moments like that, certainly. and But I know that I am so... I get so obsessed by things. So when I've had an idea or a thought about maybe a guest coming on the podcast, but maybe a new idea, I can't get it out of my head. It's not like just an idea that goes. I'm so obsessed with it that I guess it must be some of that energy or whatever it is, that force that, you know, starts that ball rolling because I am quite obsessive about things. It's not just kind of a a throwaway thought and maybe I'll get back to it. I, I, and I oh, wonder God. if it's the same. No, absolutely. It's you. You can't sleep. It's like what I said when exactly. you wake up in the middle of the night and you're googling it, or you're and you buy everything on Amazon to do with that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's <laughs> it's a complete. It it's really strange. There are some people that that function like that, and I think we, we, I mean we are that. But I and I don't know whether it's that pure focus onto that thing that makes that changes the particles and the 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 ions and all of that stuff in the in the atmosphere to to bring it to I don't know but I'm it so is I think it's it. that pure focus I'm so fascinated in it I think it's so it's so interesting and so weird and you know lots of people listening will have had brilliant coincidences or well, they've called them coincidences or moments happen because They've been so sort of single-minded about something or focused or driven or, or obsessional. Because I think mine, I do get quite obsessional and it's, it's, a, it's a quite a magical thing to go through. It's amazing. Um, Daisy, I don't want this conversation to end. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's been such a... Oh, this has been amazing. Oh, I've... Oh, I've my God. Once I've got this baby out and it's all out of the way, can we please go for a fucking drink? Oh, my God. I would love that more than anything. Let's get that Drinking baby out. Chinese. Let's get Let's go for choice. Let's get that baby out. Let's get lockdown lifted and we're going out. Yes, that would be brilliant. But can it be please. at like 6pm? Because I don't like staying out late. Do you know what? I prefer going out during the day. We'll do a boozy lunch. I'm fine with that. That, to me, is the best day time to drink, is lunchtime. Let's make it breakfast. <laughs> yes! Sod yes, it. praise the Lord! <laughs> I was, of course, joking, folks. Do drink responsibly. Thank you to Daisy. I love you, Daisy May Cooper. Brilliant human. Thank you for giving me that lift that I, I definitely needed that day. And I hope that you felt a bit of that as well. 
Now look, if you're in the need of even more of a boost, do go and find this country on the BBC iPlayer if you haven't seen it yet. All three series are available right now. It is genius. And the other show she mentioned, Writing On, Avenue 5, is available on Sky Atlantic. Thanks again to Daisy, to the producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, but currently at home with his kids, and to you, brilliant people, for listening. So appreciated. I'll see you next week. Oh,